Hello, Hosebo. Ni hao. Welcome to Planet of the Climates. POTK is a climate owl podcast, bringing you the latest information and insight into the world of climate action. Climate is a blockchain protocol backed by carbon credits that gives people a chance to fight climate change as a collective. My name is Phaedrus, and I'll be your host on this adventure. I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Rekuman. So today we're chatting with Ben Stelter from Silver Pine. Let's jump right into it. So today we're chatting with Ben Stelter, who is CEO and founder from Silver Pine. They're an innovative project offering fractional ownership of some of the most desirable collectible cars on the market. They're also one of our latest Klima Infinity partners. Rekuman and myself are big car fans, so can't wait to jump into this one and chat. But maybe at a high level then, Ben, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, and great to be on. My background itself is in policy and business administration in my studies, uh, so in Germany and, and abroad a few times. Then I joined management consulting and worked there for several years, almost a decade in management consulting in different projects across different quite fundamental industries, which is a good segue also to the client projects, including commodities business. And there I worked a lot also with trading, commodity trading and financial products around it, where my interest in what you can do with financial products and how you can transform quite fundamental industries into something financially innovative also grew, but we'll come back to that regarding silver pine. On a personal level, I have three kids. I have a wife. I live in Berlin. I also enjoyed uh, spending time with my family. And recently, I guess also a bit through COVID, we discovered the countryside a bit more. So I consider myself a bit more of a city boy because I grew up in Berlin, but I do enjoy going to the country more recently. Beautiful. I know Yeah, my wife and I were lucky enough to visit uh, Berlin a few years back. They're definitely a fun place to visit and have not been lucky enough to explore the German countryside. But yeah, great to hear it's quite fantastic. Of course, the startup scene itself, but also the city, how much it changes when you hear all the time. It's a cool place. Definitely. You know, especially if you're a car fan, the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is Mercedes. And especially your business is all about collectible cars, right? But before we jump into that, what actually inspired you to start Silver Pipe? You know, you were in that World Economic Forum, you were doing consultancy, you know, you're doing like B2B distributions and CF. In fact, you were CFO then. How does it from all those like different industry and oh, suddenly now you're shifting into you know, doing silver pint and doing cars? That's a good question. I think one element is what I saw and learned in my time at, at BCG. One thing was that I really saw what you do with financial products. And I think there is really basic industries, business models there off the axis, how you optimize their businesses can be changed quite fundamentally with access to the capital market and at building derivatives and financial products around it. So that's one thing I saw. And the second thing is digitalization, right? Which you, I mean, now every project is, I guess, a digital project because there's really not really many non-digital projects. But I would say back in the days, especially in more commodities companies, by far not everything was digital. But I saw the power early on what digitalization could do. And that also I did scale the business I worked in before, bringing these two elements together, you know, financial products and, and how interesting it could be with the power of digitization to non-digital products and areas. I talked to a friend of mine who joined also the founding team together with Investor, who is deeply embedded in the car business. And we sat down and said, look, we should really give people access to 
collectible cars and the market. It's an amazing asset class. Why, why don't the people have access and how could you make it happen? So it was really bringing this, the interest in the product itself together with the learnings and the fascination, let's say, for the financial and the digital aspects of things. Well, maybe that's a, a great lead in then perhaps to explaining a little bit for folks what Silver Pine is offering now and what this means to have you know fractional ownership of classic collectible cars. What we want to do is really make collectible cars an asset class for everyone to have access to. And there's, of course, a big emotional aspect and all of us enjoy different cars and, and we can talk a bit about the beauty and, the, and I think also the relevance of it, I would say, throughout time. But for us, it's really the asset class and making that accessible. And timesharing and other offers typically still are very much catered to the affluent, if not very affluent, because if you take a collectible car, I mean, even a, let's say, quote unquote, cheaper one, there are cars you can, can consider collectible cars at 30,000 euros, but of course, many start at 150,000, 200, let alone millions. Doing this as a financial investment, you need to have quite a portfolio to actually have this as an investment. And that is why the ultra rich, right, they have 5% of their wealth typically in collectibles. But that's, of course, because they have gigantic portfolios. People who have a few thousands, a few ten thousands, maybe even a few hundred thousand typically don't. And this is what we want to change. And what we offer is buying a share of a car and you become an owner and take part in the value development and can add a piece of this to your financial portfolio. We do organize owner's days. You cannot drive this object at the moment because that is detrimental to the value. You have to be a bit careful with that, but it's giving this access. Brilliant. So really opening up and making that collectible car market accessible to so many more people. And then and you really just touched on one point that I was really curious about too. Are these cars you know, drivable then, or oh, how does that play out? But it sounds like the idea here is more about protecting the vehicle as an investment and not about, you know, an experience for people to go and take the car out for the weekend, because that's going to risk your investment, right? So exactly, there's two parts to it. One is that we are thinking about in the future, can we give more access because we have storage facilities, we have access to events. So giving some people and giving people the access to beyond seeing it, but that's already one aspect we can offer. The second thing is though, a second product we offer and we recently launched is that we work with collectors and open up their collections to as a financial product. So if you are a collector and you say, look, I actually it could be interesting to showcase my cars, but at the same time monetize part of it and offer part of it to other people as an investment, this is what we're doing. It remains then drivable and for the collector, we'll take it out and people can see it at the same time allows other people to get access in the asset class. I totally agree with you. Like for example, a vintage 1965 Mercedes it's something that, you know, not many people would have the ability to actually own it and collect it as well. But how does Silver Pine select which cars to invest into and what criteria we will use to evaluate these are potential investments? We have a certain database and we have a model linked to an expert panel and talking to a lot of experts in the field uh, when we identify cars. So we have a number of value drivers, you know, that are on one and model specific. So typically you look at I mean, you mentioned Mercedes. I mean, there's an overarching brand value also in the classic car market, you know, driven by the most expensive car that was sold by way north of, I think, 100 million euros, right, was a Mercedes. So, of course, that drives the value itself of classical cars, of the brand. That's one thing. The second thing is we look at the heritage of the actual model, what has happened to the model, how known is it, has it been in the pop culture or other things. We look at the number of produced. I mean, this is a big value driver, right? Then there's a question, is there something unique about it from the design or something that has a certain value to it? And then, of course, the financial development. 
what is the expectation of the expert panel? What is the past? Of course, we always know the past might not reflect the future, but these are indicators. Uh, so we look at this, we look at what do people see? How do other cars that are in the segment, you know, the examples are, you know, if one car becomes really expensive, the second oftentimes is pulled with it and then a bit of momentum in the market. So then we have this criteria, we talk to people, we have a lot of interviews, then we decide either we get cars offered and run it through there, or we also have a list of cars we look for. We have access to a lot of off-market collections and cars that don't directly come to traders, which gives us some great vehicles. And then if there's one identified, we look at it specifically, right? How is the condition? How is the originality of it? How is the mileage of the car itself? Is there provenance documentation around it? And this is then in the end how we choose it and offer it then to our investors, or so consumers in the end, right? So definitely part of that value proposition there is the service that you're providing in, you know, sourcing, vetting the vehicles for investment, and then, you know, taking care and protecting that investment after the fact as well, too. You want to keep it as pristine as possible. So totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, of course, there are cars that are meant to be driven and there are other cars that are meant to be admired. So I've got a question then for you, too. Can you let our listeners know what your initial offering vehicle is or perhaps as well uh, tell us what would be one of your dream vehicles that you'd love to see in the collection or offered through Silver Pine? So we started with the 280 SL Pagoda Mercedes from 1969. It's really just a beautiful classic valued at 160000 Really, it's a gorgeous car. The second one we have, it's quite a unique one. It's a Bugatti EB110 with low mileage. And this is really an amazing car. Used to be the, the fastest serial car you could buy. And it's a spectacular vehicle. And the third one we now offered is in Mercedes Evolution 2, which entered the area of the Mercedes DTM racing. And it's a lot of pop culture. There's ASAP Rocky did a thing with for Need for Speed. It's a cool car itself as well. We have a really cool pipeline around some Aston Martins, some Porsches we're going to bring on. If I could pick one that we currently don't have, there are a few rare Ferraris, which are quite cool, I think, and difficult to get in the right condition. I mean, F40 is, is a cool car. Definitely. You know, you have like diversification in a sense whereby you not just have your usual ones, but I definitely think there's also this is like big pop culture following when it comes to like JDMs or Japanese cars in general. And I definitely think that that's a really, really good. Of course, speaking about portfolios itself, you know, shifting gears, pun intended, <laughs> to talk about really why you guys decided to work with Klimadao specifically, you know, to do your offsetting. Why would you want to look into like offsetting carbon emissions itself? Look, I think we discussed cars a lot, right? People like them and I think there's freedom, individualism attached to it. And they oftentimes, if you look at them, they symbolize, I think, the era they're built in, you know, both in design and engineering, especially old cars, they're a bit like pieces of art in a way that if they're well designed, you know, the more you look at them, the more you like them. Now, at the same time, the carbon footprint of a collectible car today is low because you don't drive it much. But the, the car industry itself, I mean, there's a lot of discussion around it. And of course, there's also a lot of negativity maybe attached to cars. And I think offsetting the past and saying, look, we cannot go back in time, but doing something that offsets a bit what has caused in the past is doing something great to show that this can transform, right? That times are changing, right? And then we need to think a bit cheesy, but I mean, I have kids and so on, you know, to think about the future as well. So I think it's a good symbol. And the second thing is, especially in this collector model, right? We talk to collectors to say, hey, don't you want to monetize some of your cars and offer them to a wider market while still taking care of them? 
at the same time, we're talking to them about offsetting them. So, you know, you have a collection, you put money in, but why not do something to offset the carbon they have emitted? So I think it's a great way of helping you know, drive the debate in the right direction. But I think with the rise of EV, I, the cars and solid will not disappear. Plus, the past cars, I think, won't disappear for a long time. And this is a great way of bringing two worlds together, which are sometimes quite apart, right? Oftentimes, there's a gap. And I think it's the only way is bringing everyone together in a sense, right? Brilliant. And I know, again, as a, a car guy for decades, you know, you feel that internal tension or you wrestle with it too. Like you love cars, but then at the same time, this industry that's been around for a century or more now that has been one of the primary drivers of climate change too. So just being able to, you know, appreciate the vehicles as a object and do whatever we can with the tools that we have available to minimize and carve a greener future ahead of us. That's yeah, great to hear. And speaking of EVs too, I, maybe first gen Tesla Roadster might uh, <laughs> at some point be in the collection there too as an investment vehicle. I don't know. I think some of these first gen, this, this can be quite interesting. The tricky part and something to see on electric vehicles, it is to be seen a bit how in a few, let's say decades, how you can actually still even repair them or maintain them because there's so much chip-based technology and so on. And you might not even have the ports anymore. I mean, of course, technology will also advance that you'll be able to access it, but it's an old combustion engine. If you have a good mechanic who knows what they're doing, it's not easy, but it's something that people can do. With this ever-changing, and we're at the beginning of the industry in a way, right? It'll be interesting how these cars can be maintained. Of course, some of them will be very valuable. It's a shift of, of, of these vehicles. And we're always discussing, you know, it would be cool. You know, there are also some cars that, that where people refit classic cars with EV uh, or, you know, and, and electric motors, of course, but some, I mean, a lot of collectors, visual collectors hate that. So it's, from a collector's angle, I would still say this is less valuable at the moment, but they're interesting developments. Very cool. So you've walked us through what Silver Pine is all about and the offering there. Perhaps, like, could you explain to us how the offset is tied to that vehicle? I understand it's tied to the, the VIN for the vehicle too, just to demonstrate. So we're leveraging Web3 technology here to be able to prove that this offset is tied to that specific vehicle in your collection. I mean, what's really important is the transparency, right? And making it clear that it really happened. So what we're doing is we, we're taking a specific vehicle, we're discussing it with Klima and then tied to the VIN, the chill emissions based on the engine are calculated and then put into a project. You can also then, when you go into our app, look at the vehicle, the stand that basically see what project it's tied to and that the VIN matches, which is quite cool because it's really the individual vehicle. And for all time, so to say, it's in the blockchain and can be proven that this has been offset. Yeah, very cool. It's always so easy to make a marketing claim and say, well, our, our fleet is green or, you know, whatever some company might say, but here it is with your social media post, you've got that QR code where people can actually, you know, scan that, follow that, and they're directly looking at the evidence of the offset. Wow, really, really exciting. You know, speaking about excitement itself, what's next? Like what's Silver Pine's plans for the future? Any features or any services they are planning to roll out? We are working on the secondary market and alongside tradable token in the future. And it also matches our belief that blockchain is something that can make a lot of things transparent and fast. So this also matches our vision a bit of where our product is going. But that's still a bit of time away. So one big thing that we want to offer in our app is teaching people around cars in terms of reports and news feeds and having them understand the angle of what cars are interesting, what is the culture behind it, what are the value drivers behind it, but then also the tokenization, fractionalizing, 
angle of it, why is that interesting? And bringing in the klima and offsetting thought also, how can carbon offsetting play a role, these kind of things. So to educate, to make our Silverpine app place to learn about the market and understand cars and the future of different assets better. So this is really what we're focusing on right now, alongside with rolling this out to more collectors, because that opens up really a lot of hidden gems, which is quite interesting because there are some people I think who have cars and they don't want to part with them, or maybe some people have driven them, but you could market them and give people access to them or at least make it as a financial vehicle accessible. And the other thing that we will do at some point is do some packages and think about, could we not, instead of just doing it to do a package of the cars, you can invest in, in a portfolio of those. So you can think about different packages. So the mini portfolio, it's all things we're working on to give even more variety to our users. So these are the things that come next. Oh, very cool. So that fractionalization can, can really open up some pretty innovative ways of packaging your investment then. Yep. Well, eventually, I believe you will have an inventory of like maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 cars. There are like classics that will be lovely to have like a sort of a museum of sorts that people are able to visit and actually to view the car itself. Would it be a possibility in the future whereby these would be income generating for people who actually own fractions of the car? For example, let's just say I own a fraction of a car and the car is actually on exhibit. Is it a possibility that eventually I will actually gain income from like, you know, ticket sales from the museum visits, something like that? 100%. Because having these silver pine cars somewhere stored, right? But this is something that you could definitely make more public. I think there's two aspects to it. One is that you can make it, of course, income generating through museum at some point. The second thing is with museums and similar to art, it also increases the value oftentimes, you know, even, and that might be the bigger driver in terms of value for the investor than what you pay at the doors because being visible, taking to certain events might even have a bigger impact. And it goes back to the idea of showing them because you don't want to lock them into somewhere and no one sees them again, right? We want to experience these cars. I think that was just a brilliant question. You know, how can people experience this collection as it grows and evolves? And I think, Ben, you're kind of alluding to the fact that it's not about locking these vehicles in a vault and they're never to be seen or until they're sold again or whatever. Sounds like stuff like even in Germany there, you got the Nürburgring classic race that happens with some historic motor sport vehicles out on the track. And, you know, if you got the right driver and you win that event or something like that, there could be certain cases where having the vehicle out in the wild and used would actually support the value. That's why it's nice having access to these events because yes, driving them around the block, that is not really helping the value other that you need to move them once in a while, right? But uh, taking to certain concours and having certain people drive them very much supports that. And this is really the idea, I think, how it is with a lot of collectible cars. I mean, there are these cars that are locked away, but I think a lot of collectors also want to show them and it's about making them accessible, you know, and not being like the secret little investment that no one knows, but being transparent, being public, having the car offset, we know where it is, we know what it's done. I think it's a lot about transparency and, and accessibility. You know what happened to the markets. I don't know. I think the DEX ended up at minus 12 or 13% and collectible cars went up 20%. And you see this in all the crises. You saw it at way back to dot-com credit crunch. You saw it in COVID. You saw it now that it performs more stable. So it's great addition to your portfolio. So think about collectibles and collectible cars as an investment class, but which hasn't been there but I'm convinced will be in future for more people. So that's what we're trying to achieve and check it out. 
Yeah, well, this is definitely a great conversation that hopefully I think you could tell we enjoyed having with you too. For those that are listening, if you want to find out more about Silverpine, do find their app either on iOS or Android. That's where you can learn more about Silverpine and how does the fractionizing works. That's where all the information that Ben just shared will be put up there in the app itself. Definitely something that I'm really, really excited about. And this is actually a market that it's only for the probably the top 1% in the world. So not everyone will have the opportunity, right, to be able to have access to this, but you just made something that was untouchable for probably like 90% of the population in the world, and now it's really available in the palm of your hands. At the same time, you know, making sure that all these are done in line with being climate-friendly, really admirable. So thank you very much, Ben. Thanks a lot, and... Really excited to have been on. It's excited to work with Klima. I enjoyed the conversation a lot. It was a great conversation. Thank you very much, Ben. Really, really appreciate it for coming by. Thanks. Bye-bye. Big thank you to Ben for that conversation. Recommend, I don't know about you, but yeah, I'm always game to talk about cars. And I think it's just so interesting, you know, having been a car guy and finding that intersection with actually tackling the climate crisis here and, you know, doing the right thing. What were your takeaways with that conversation with Ben and the way he's using the, you know, the Climate Infinity platform? I think the most important thing is to be able to use the platform to actually offset carbon footprints of the cars he brings into the collection. Definitely this is something that I feel it's an angle that a lot of people didn't see because like, you know, when it comes to car collection, right, we're always associated with uh, high carbon emissions, a massive uh, carbon footprint. And what he does is connect both to meet at this point together, right? And I think that's the beauty of it. I definitely look looking forward to see what other cars that Ben will bring into the collection. And maybe that's the one day I will tell people I own an R34 SLR and things like that. Yeah, well, let's see here. Uh, So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ben. As always, you can help this podcast reach even more Climates by leaving a comment or review on your favorite podcasting platform. For everything Klima, make sure you're hitting up climadow.finance where you can find every POTK episode and, most importantly, leave your very own love letter to the planet and help us fight climate change. That's it from us. We look forward to connecting with you once again on the very next Planet of the Climates.